cutting-edge conversations with the Quant community. Welcome all to this new episode of Quantcast, Risk.net podcast on quant finance. Uh, Mauro Cesar here speaking, together with my colleague Tom Osborne, who is the risk management and editor of Risk.net. Hi, Tom. Hello. Our guest today is Carlo Acerbi, who is a Head of Valuation and Quantitative Solution at Bank Pictet in Geneva. Hi, Carlo. Great to have you with us. Hi, hi everybody. Thank you very much. Carlo, you co-authored the paper with your former colleague Balash Zakelis, who is uh, now an economic advisor uh, at the Central Bank of Hungary in Budapest. Uh, in fact, I should say this was developed when you both were at MSCI. Um, the paper is titled The Minimally Biased Backtest for Expected Showfall. It is online in RISD.net and uh, it is in the September issue of Risk. Uh, as the title partially gives way, um, you and Balash argued that backtests for expected shortfall are necessarily approximated because they are subject to some biases, and we will see that uh, in details later. So you proposed a backtest that minimizes such biases. Before we go into the description of the method, uh, could you give us a brief overview on the central role of expected shortfall in risk management and explain why it is important to backtest it, but difficult. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mara. Yeah, um, so um, over the past uh, 20 years, I would say, there's been a lively debate uh, as to what uh, risk measure should be used as a, as a standard for capital adequacy. And uh, the Basel Committee, uh, as everybody knows, uh, used uh, valuate risk, bar. Uh, for many years, ever since uh, 1996, and uh, um, the debate uh, started in 1997 already, when uh, um, a group of uh, academicians discovered and created the, the, the class of coherent risk measures, uh, which, uh, which means uh, uh, properties that uh, uh, coherent mean, means a set of properties that a risk measure should uh, satisfy to be a good risk measure. Valued risk happened not to be a good uh, risk measure in this context, uh, and a special shortfall already in 2001 was uh, defined and discovered to be uh, one example of coherent risk measure. Uh, that was, uh, by the way, also uh, sharing other properties that are fundamental for applications uh, in, a, in an industrial context. So, a special shortfall in 2001 uh, was, so to say, defined by, um, by some different research groups, including works from myself and Dirk Tasche, but uh, uh, in simultaneously results from uh, Uriate and Rockefeller. And uh, back then, uh, this, uh, this measure uh, attracted the attention of many, and, were, and people started using it uh, uh, in uh, risk systems. Uh, and for a long time, uh, there was a, so say, a lively debate as to whether especially shortfall was to, prefer, to be preferred uh, against VAR. Academicians uh, were leaning uh, versus the Spanish shortfall for these mathematical properties. Uh, value at risk was sometimes preferred by some uh, practitioners because it was uh, simpler, in quotation marks, uh, and uh, everybody knew how, how to backtest it at least. Okay? So the debate uh, uh, um, went on for many years, uh, and uh, um, the, the, so to say, the, mm, the climax of the drama happened in 2011. What, what happened in 2011 is, is very interesting. So, um, in 2011, some uh, Atalanta statistician, uh, Tillman Knighting, actually not really working in finance, but rather 
in uh, uh, theoretical statistics, and if, if anything, in, in, in the applied world, he was, uh, he was working in, in predictive, predictive meteorology. Okay. Well, he wrote a paper that uh, was a wake-up call for the risk industry. He wrote a paper saying, uh, uh, especially shortfall is not backtestable. But the paper was actually saying much more. The paper was saying, uh, uh, pay attention, because uh, um, backtestability is not something we should give for granted. Uh, so there are backtestable statistics, and there are statistics for which um, you will never find a good backtest. Okay. So um, why, why a little drama? Because in, in the very same days, the Basel Committee was set to adopt uh, a special shortfall as a standard replacement for VAR. This uh, actually happened in 2012. And, and by the time uh, the risk industry understood the wake-up call from the article of Tim and Knighting, uh, SPD Shuffle had been already proposed. This was a sort of uh, impasse for the entire risk industry, and many academicians started saying, uh, we might uh, uh, make a U-turn here, and rather go back to good old but testable VAR than having a, a statistic which has many good properties, but cannot be backtested. So this is uh, 2012, and this, uh, this created, uh, so to say, an enormous interest uh, for um, understanding better uh, the backtestability of expected shortfall in particular, but uh, uh, more generally what backtestability means and wh when a, a risk measure is backtestable and when it is not. So this is uh, where uh, I... I was attracted by this question, and I started working uh, with Balash uh, on, the, on this topic. Thank you, Carlo. Uh, can you tell us a bit about um, the solution you're proposing in this paper? Obviously, several solutions have been proposed hitherto, but um, how does yours differ? Yeah, so, um, so when we started up, um, uh, understanding this, uh, uh, this problem, uh, we learned about uh, a property called uh, Elicitability, uh, which was really the uh, the missing property for expected shortfall, and uh, and a new term I would say in the risk industry. It was the papers from uh, uh, Tillman Knighting that, in a sense, uh, 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 revived this this concept that was that had been long known in, in theoretical statistics, but never been uh, really very important uh, for, for for the risk industry. So risk practitioners never heard of elicitability before 2011. Well, the, the idea is, is the following. If you look at why uh, a static shortfall is, is not detectable, uh, and you experiment with, the, so to say, the, the, the proof of no elicitability, which entails non-backtestability, uh, you realize immediately that uh, any test for a static shortfall is necessarily sensitive to the quality of your predictions for value at risk as well. So you can never write a test which is exclusively testing expected shortfall. You are always testing expected shortfall and value at risk. So in a sense, your test for expected shortfall is perfect only if, you, if your value at risk prediction is perfect. But this perfection can never be tested with the extreme precision. So uh, it is a sort of a, a necessary problem to live with tests of a specific shortfall which are necessarily affected by some sensitivity to the quality of your VAR prediction. This is uh, the problem you, you start from. Okay? So um, 
this is uh, uh, this tells you what this tells you that uh, the, the, uh, strictly speaking, a steady shortfall is not backtestable. Okay, but chances are that there exists some uh, um, uh, backtest for a steady shortfall, which is approximated in a to say uh, in a way that can be controlled. Well, uh, with Balash, uh, we we came uh, to the to the conclusion that there exists one, and we will see only one, uh, backtest for which the sensitivity with respect to VAR predictions have two fundamental properties. Uh, quadratic, so second order only, namely small, okay? And, and maybe even more importantly, are always prudential. So, so what is the idea? We call this, uh, we call this uh, uh, um, a rich backtest. We will see this is, this is a mechanism that is not unique to a special shortfall, okay? We say that uh, uh, um, a statistic admits a rich backtest if it is, and this is a, a bit of a technical um, uh, sentence, if it is the minimum of the scoring function of another backtestable statistic. Here the backtestable statistic is far, and the study shortfall happens to be the minimum of the scoring statistic of, uh, uh, of the scoring function of R. Okay, so um, this relationship between study shortfall and VAR uh, is, is, is an example that happens in, in other couples of statistics. Okay, and the result is what I said before. Uh, you can build one, and we will see basically only one that test which benefits from this, uh, so to say, um, mechanism, and the result is that in a model-independent fashion, the backtest of a specific shortfall will be sensitive to VAR only at second order and, more importantly, always in the prudential side. Uh, this is fundamental. This is actually what we call a violation of, uh, of the Murphy law. Okay. It could have been the other way around. If uh, the bias had been always, uh, so to say, uh, uh, um, Reckless, <laughs> so I don't know what is the opposite of prudential. Uh, uh, if, it, if it had been the other way around, uh, nobody could trust a, a, a backtest of a risk measure whose bias is, is, a, is, is the opposite of a prudential one. But here, fortunately, uh, not only the bias is small, but it's always penalizing for the purpose of prudential risk management. This is a, this is really the, the so to say. These two properties are what uh, make this uh, uh, this backtest uh, uh, very promising for uh, for industrial applications and for regulatory purposes. Okay, so we can uh, say in a model-independent fashion that uh, you can, so to say, um, ignore or at least uh, be very uh, very lenient on the on the precision of your VAR prediction because your backtest of a steady shortfall will suffer very little and in any case uh, in a, only in a prudential fashion uh, to, um, uh, to possible uh, misspecification of value at risk. This is, a, um, this is the big, so to say, uh, important uh, properties uh, that, uh, um, uh, that are uh, proposed backtest uh, uh, displays. By the way, we had proposed three, uh, five years ago now, another backtest for a steady shortfall. Uh, that backtest uh, had actually been uh, adopted, and uh, and it's quite popular already. Uh, we had 
say very clearly, that should be abandoned. Okay, so that backtest was sensitive to first order, uh, to var specifications. Okay, and uh, the the, the backtest that we propose today is certainly better in any respect. Okay, thanks for that. So. Um you state in the paper that you find the optimal uh, solution, so the one that minimizes the error bias. Uh, can you give us uh, more flavor on how, how you achieve that? Yeah, so um, I'm actually uh, glad to say that uh, we, we didn't really have to go very far to find, uh, to find this solution. In, in some sense, the, the solution had been straight under our nose for a long time. So the, the relationship between VAR and expected shortfall that uh, uh, provides an, an extremal solution for, uh, for, this, uh, for this minimum, it's actually nothing, but uh, the, the relationship discovered already in year 2000 by Yuri Azuka Rockefeller. Uh, fundamental uh, definition uh, of a steady shortfall that had been uh, exploited mostly for optimization purposes. And, but but uh, uh, so far nobody had, uh, so to say, observed that it's actually, uh, that it's actually the uh, what what we need also for backtesting purposes. So this is really important. Why? Because uh, the existence of this relationship is is pretty quotation marks magic, in the sense that uh, um, you, uh, you you really can prove in this way that this backtest is completely unique. There's no other uh, uh, relationship between uh, between these two these two variables that uh, can generate a backtest that, uh, that has quadratic and uh, one-sided uh, biases. That, that is what we, we obtain here. And by the way, the, uh, the, the thing that is, is, is quite interesting is that uh, this sounds like uh, deja vu. Uh, people have been backtesting variants for, for decades. Okay? Uh, big surprise might be that the variance is not backtestable either. Okay? And, but if we go back to uh, econometrics uh, uh, courses, uh, we, we remember that probably some professor told us that you can backtest variance, uh, but uh, your backtest will always be slightly sensitive to the prediction of the mean of the distribution. And we typically ignore it, okay? Well, uh, that's exactly the, a perfect analogy. Variance uh, and the mean are in the exact same relationship as expected shortfall and VAR. So, Variance is also measured that admits a rich backtest because it's the minimum of um, the scoring function of a backtestable statistic, which is which is uh, which is the mean. So we 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 in a sense uh, found this analogy very illuminating. Uh, steady shortfall is uh, in the exact same situation as variance. It's strictly speaking not backtestable, but admits one and only one backtest. Uh, for which uh, the bias uh, is minimized by uh, special mechanisms that links it to a backtestable statistic. Mm. Thank you, Carlo. So, expanding on that just slightly, what you're saying is the accuracy of, of VAR estimates have a direct bearing on your ability to successfully uh, conduct an ES backtest. Exactly. So, uh, so imagine you, you have a portfolio, you, you test your distribution, and what you you now need to test is a special shortfall. At the same time, you can compute the valid risk, but uh, your capital standards tell you that uh, what you sh should really uh, test is, is a special shortfall. Uh, the test of a special shortfall is uh, sensitive to VAR predictions. So how much are they sensitive? Um, this is quite interesting. 
because uh, typically they are hardly uh, sensitive at all. So errors in, in, in value risk predictions of uh, within plus or minus 30% are completely innocuous. Okay, so you can uh, you can really assume that uh, you don't have to separately test uh, value risk to check whether your expected short back test is good or not. But uh, let's assume, for instance, uh, that the, that uh, um, that your value at risk predictions are completely wrong. Okay, so co let's assume that uh, for some reason your um, um, your model has a completely wrong prediction for value at risk. Uh, this creates a big bias. Okay, which is a big penalty for for the bank. Okay, uh, and and there are two cases here. The expected shortfall was also wrong. Okay, and then uh, you would be probably badly rejected by, by the model, by, by the test, sorry. Or, uh, and, and this is uh, very, very interesting, suppose that uh, uh, you have a, uh, a back test uh, where a static shortfall is actually uh, uh, accepted by the model, okay? Uh, but, but the back, but, but the, but the, um, the bias, uh, uh, so sorry, the static shortfall prediction was right, okay? But value at risk was completely wrong. Okay, so in what situation uh, is this? Uh, it's, it's a situation where distribution is completely wrong because var is completely wrong, and expected shortfall in, is in a sense uh, mm, correct by by pure luck. Okay, so would you accept or not such a model? Would you accept a model for which the, the expected shortfall prediction is correct but the tail is completely misspecified? Well. This back test will reject this uh, this model. Okay, this back test for the very reason that value risk is completely misspecified by the very existence of this bias. We reject uh, accidental uh, correct predictions of expected shortfall uh, done by uh, uh, tail models which are completely misspecified. So here we understand that uh, not only the bias uh, is, uh, is the bias is not necessarily a problem. It's actually, so to say, an additional charge for misspecification of the of the tail. Okay, and this uh, this can embody, so to say, the spirit of a regulator that wants not only correct expectation for predictions, but uh, correct expectation for predictions from a decent, so to say, uh, specifications of the of the entire tail. So, if you had to uh, sum up just briefly, uh, what would what would you say is the substantial difference between? Uh, backtesting value trace can expect to show for? So, this is a, this is a beautiful question. Um, so, let, let's uh, go back uh, 10 years ago and put ourselves in the shoes of those who try to backtest uh, expected shortfall or VAR. Okay? So, for backtesting VAR, uh, as everybody knows, we just have to take uh, uh, the outcome of a portfolio return and check day by day whether or not uh, it uh, um, uh, it crosses the threshold of the tail, which is which is value at risk. Counting these quotation marks exceptions of value at risk gives us uh, the the back test of VAR that everybody knows, which is uh, uh, which is basically uh, checking whether the frequency of these exceedances match the quantile of value at risk. Okay, this, this is uh, uh, something that everybody knows. Okay, let's now, uh, back then, imagine how to backtest a static shortfall. 
uh, a steady shuffle is the average of the risks in the tail. So intuitively, we, uh, we would conclude that uh, for backtesting and steady shortfall, it's not enough to have uh, one scenario per day, namely the actual, the actual outcome of a portfolio. We, we would need to resample from uh, the real distribution of the portfolio multiple times, but given that uh, real life is a, uh, one scenario Monte Carlo, we cannot do it. Okay? So with, with one scenario per day, we don't know how to compute uh, an average of the tail. This is the naive reason why uh, expected shortfall um, uh, sounds, so to say, more, more complex uh, than VAR, okay, when it comes to, to backtesting, okay? Then, uh, well, this is, this is really a naive explanation. We don't have sufficiently many outcomes from yesterday to compute the realized expected shortfall. That's, a, uh, that, that, that's been a conviction of the entire risk industry for, for many years, okay? Uh, what we discovered is actually completely different. Okay, so we now know that the reasons why petty shortfall is not detectable are much more serious. We learned it from the concept of a disability, thanks to the articles from Tillman Knighting. Okay, but uh, uh, but what we discovered also in our in our in our paper is, uh, is, uh, is that the situation is completely the opposite. So um, what we discovered is is also that there exist back tests which we call sharp, whose expected shortfall is a function only of the prediction of the risk measure and the actual value of the risk measure. Let's, re let's remember that uh, the actual value of a risk measure is not observable a posteriori. So uh, risk, as opposed to return, cannot be observed the day after. I cannot tell you what, is, uh, uh, what was yesterday the variance of my portfolio. Okay, I, uh, it's, it's just unobservable. So uh, risks are not observable a posteriori, returns are. And any backtest, in a sense, is the comparison, we call it, uh, of uh, apples to oranges, in a sense. So yesterday we made a prediction on risk, apples, and today we have uh, an outcome, which is a return. Backtestable statistics uh, are statistics for which this apple to orange comparison is possible. Okay? Comparing predicted risk with to uh, realized return. Okay? Uh, and, and VAR admits this. Okay? For, a, for a steady shortfall, uh, we know we, this is not possible, strictly speaking. We know there exists nonetheless a mechanism that permits to do it uh, with, with some approximation. But what is uh, very interesting is another concept that, uh, that, we, that we discovered. This is uh, a sharp backtest. Sharp backtests. Uh, are backtests which are functions only of the realized, uh, sorry, of the predicted risk and the actual risk that is in unobservable. Okay? So the result of the backtest uh, is typically a difference between the two, predicted risk and actual risk. Well, um, long story short, uh, for such uh, backtests, if there, if there exists a sharp backtest for a statistic, uh, the backtest uh, will tell you not only a probability of acceptance, like uh, the VAR backtest, but will tell you also um, an estimate of the magnitude of the discrepancy between the two. This is what led us to, uh, so to say, call the expenditure for bias, uh, the expenditure for backtest, uh, an apple-to-apple -apple comparison. 
So we are not anymore comparing risk to returns, apple to orange, but we are, we are, we are comparing predicted risk to realized risk, which is, a, which is an apple to apple comparison. For all the reasons you set out, Carlo, there was at the time uh, that uh, the fundamental review of the trading book was being drafted, uh, extreme resistance in some quarters um, to embedding the, the ES measure uh, into the framework, you, particularly the, the, the PL attribution test, as you allude to. Paul Embrex was against it, uh, for one, most notably David Rowe, others. What, what was your view at the time, and uh, has that changed? Yeah. Thank you for the, this question. Yes, yeah, um, in 2012 and ever since, uh, uh, the Basel Committee has tried uh, to define a model validation scheme for SPT shortfall in the absence of, a, of, a, of an appropriate backtest for SPT shortfall. So uh, what they did was to replace uh, the entire uh, model validation scheme with uh, two separate backtests for valid risk, at 1% and 2.5%. Uh, remember that uh, SPT shortfall is, uh, uh, is chosen to be at 2.5% in Basel regulation. So they sort of uh, wanted to test the threshold at 2.5% as well as say, the body of the 2.5% uh, tail, which, is, which was chosen to be uh, at the 1% uh, quantile. And, uh, uh, and they added to these, uh, to these two tests, uh, an additional uh, so-called PNL attribution test that you, that you mentioned, okay, which was a um, strange uh, piece of, uh, uh, of of test because because it's basically uh, a, a test on the um, volatility of the discrepancy between the PNL recorded by the risk uh, model and and uh, uh, and the front model of a bank. So. Uh, these three tests together represented the um, patchwork uh, model validation uh, in the absence uh, of, a, uh, of, a, of a better, unique expected shortfall backtest. Um, so as, as you know, uh, the industry banks uh, in particular recognized that uh, this uh, PNL attribution test was the source of many paradoxical results. So uh, many banks observed that in some situations, uh, uh, many type type one and type two errors uh, uh, could arrive, namely acceptance uh, of wrong models uh, and, and rejection of good ones. Okay, so in, in other words, uh, the penal attribution test was discovered to be a Russian roulette uh, for for models, and, and and rightly so. It was uh, it was uh, um, it was the, the subject of many revisions and reformulations. But at a certain point, uh, I believe. Uh, we we couldn't sell anymore the, the wood for the trees. I mean, people got obsessed uh, with the, uh, with reformulating a better PNL attribution test when probably we should uh, we should have gone back to the drawing board and, and ask ourselves uh, whether at all we need to have a PNL attribution test. So, and that's exactly what I propose here. Um, so to simplify things, I believe that uh, in a bank there there is a risk model. And this risk model is in charge uh, with distributional assumptions on the future outcomes on the portfolio on a, a real-world probability measure. Okay? Then there is a front model, uh, which has no such uh, duties. Okay? It's in charge for asset pricing. Okay? It can be more or less accurate uh, in the 
description of uh, uh, risk variables, but for sure uh, it doesn't contain uh, any assumption on their distribution on a, on a real-world probability measure. And then there is another model, and the, the other model is, is reality, okay? So it's the actual unknowable probability of the physical world, which we will never access, okay? We will never know what is uh, the distribution of the real world. But, but if, if at all we had to, to write a model validation for, for the risk model, is by comparing it uh, to the real world, and certainly not with the front model. This is my strong conviction, and so I will never try to reformulate the PNL attribution test because I believe the PNL attribution test should not be there for capital adequacy purposes. We need to test that the prediction of the risk model are in line with reality, period. And, and then, of course, everybody knows that uh, banks have been running uh, uh, PNL. Uh, uh, reconciliation tests based on a comparison of the risk and the front model. So, in a sense, the PNL attribution test uh, was, uh, in, uh, so to say, uh, just uh, uh, using ideas that have been used in middle offices for, for 30 years in every bank in the world. But what I say here is that I don't think that that part of the model validation uh, scheme is necessary for testing whether risk predictions are in line with the reality. Uh, so uh, I, I really believe that, mm, that now we should go back to something simpler and more solid. Okay? So not a so to say, Ptolemaic uh, patchwork of uh, multiple tests, but a single correct test on the risk model of the bank, on the risk measure that it's uh, being chosen to be the right one for, uh, for capital adequacy. I would like to, to ask you another question on the effect and consequence of the introduction of uh, the FRTB. Uh, and in particular, um, Risk has been uh, reporting on uh, um, some of the players from the buy side industry and saying that uh, its introduction has been uh, killing uh, the profitability of some trading strategies. Uh, I'm thinking here in particular of uh, those involving uh, volatility trading or those uh, uh, involving the trading in uh, illiquid assets. Uh, what's your take on that? Uh, do you agree? Um, yes, <laughs> uh, it's a very interesting uh, question. Um, I have to admit, I'm, I'm not really an expert of, um, so to say, the, the literature um, on uh, actual consequences on specific uh, trading strategies on, or on specific uh, uh, capital charges on, on asset classes. I, I know that uh, the uh, uh, introduction of the FRTB, uh, so to say, reshuffled the relative uh, uh, capital uh, cost of uh, different strategies as well as different asset classes. And, and this mm, is, 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 is what would happen with any, uh, with any change in, uh, in, uh, in capital regulation. What we have to ask ourselves is, however, if the, uh, if the regulation is, is risk sensitive to, to begin with, okay? So what, what I mean here is the following, that uh, if uh, a good piece of regulation uh, raises the capital cost of some uh, assets or strategies, because indeed they were underestimated, uh, well, uh, that's, uh, that's good. I mean, uh, too bad for those who were, so to say, uh, taking advantage of this uh, capital arbitrage. But that's exactly what a good re regulation should be doing, okay? Um, but 
uh, on the other side, uh, there could be even uh, uh, regulation that, uh, in fact, lowers uh, the capital cost of some strategies for, for wrong reasons. Okay, so uh, what, what I'm saying here is that uh, regulators have, a, have an enormous responsibility here. Either they do something that is really risk sensitive, or if they put together a, lot, uh, a mechanism with, with, which, uh, which has inconsistencies, paradoxes, and a lot of exceptions, okay, uh, it will always be, so to say, an endless, uh, so to say, uh, quest uh, for the right adjustment. Okay, so uh, here again, I am convinced that uh, reg regulation should be very simple. Regulation should not be a list of exceptions, uh, a list of, uh, of uh, so to say, uh, patchwork uh, tests. Okay, it should be based on very solid uh, and risk-sensitive uh, uh, ideas. Okay rather Copernican than, than Ptolemaic, if again I can use this, uh, this, this, this metaphor. And the FRTB was a bit Ptolemaic, okay? In, in, some, in, in some aspects, uh, uh, it was motivated by, by good ideas, but uh, in, the, in, in the formulation was, was, very, was very complicated. And uh, uh, the spirit of some uh, of, the of the motivations got lost in the actual implementation of the rules. So. I, I believe that uh, um, uh, that uh, yeah the uh, capital adequacy standards should go back uh, to uh, so say uh, an, an enforcement uh, of the um, simple uh, uh, rules that motivated uh, uh, that motivated the the, the the creation of the FRTP. What what I really believe uh, is that. Uh, a good risk measures should be used, good backtest of those risk measures should be used, and then exceptions should be made only for asset classes for which uh, we all recognize that uh, modeling doesn't work at all. Okay, so, uh, and, that, and, that, and that may happen. So there are asset classes for which uh, uh, um, distributions of, uh, of, of risk are, uh, so say, are reliable because of the nature of the asset class itself. Carlo, thank you, thank you very much for uh, for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, it's been a great pleasure, and uh, thanks everybody for listening.